Hello and welcome to the WordPress Chick Podcast. Brought to you by the WPChick.com. WordPress explained for those of us who get headaches when we hear words like PHP and functions, but want to make money with their WordPress sites. No boring code snippets here. Just WordPress happiness made easy. Now, here's your host, Kim Doyle, the WordPress Chick. All right, all right, all right. Okay, that really wasn't my impression of Matthew McConaughey, but I love saying that. And actually, that's my text tone, is Matthew McConaughey's, all right, all right, all right. Whatever, we're going to leave that alone. What's up, everybody? Before we get into today's show with Chloe Thomas, who is an e-commerce expert, and you guys are in for a treat, and if you are remotely interested in e-commerce, I would highly recommend you grab a pen and paper, because holy nuggets of wisdom. (laughs) And uh, I know that it's something that's on my horizon. I would say probably 2017 is I want to jump into that. But before we get into today's show, which is what's up episode 107, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the awesomeness again, that is SiteLock. And guys, by the way, before I do my SiteLock little spiel here, let me tell you, I had some uh, an experience with them last week where we were trying to get everything set up with removing uh, Cloudflare and setting stuff up and the customer support was awesome. There were a couple snags, but I mean, to have people calling me to get stuff sorted and worked out as quickly as possible was ridiculously impressive. They did it uh, beautifully. And again, they're awesome. Um, but let's go ahead and let's jump right into SiteLock, which currently protects over 1 million WordPress sites around the world. From industry-leading website security to first-in-class live expert support. I told you that, right? Live, I got real people on the phone. Uh, SiteLock is your one-stop shop for all your website security needs. Check out their blog for information on ways to keep your WordPress site safe. WordPress community updates. They are really getting involved in the community, and it's super awesome. Uh, videos and more. So visit SiteLock.com, WPChick forward well, yeah, SiteLock.com forward slash WP chick forward slash blog. Uh, and of course that link, you can link to all of this through the show notes. Uh, that's it for my site lock intro. They're awesome guys. I'm super happy. Uh, let's jump into today's episode with Chloe Thomas. I can guarantee you, uh, you're going to want again to, to write some notes. This, uh, I do have her books. She's got a couple books on Amazon. I'm going to let her tell you all about it. So enjoy the show guys. And as always, thanks so much for listening. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the WordPress Chick Podcast. I'm your host, Kim Doyle, the WordPress Chick, and we have a treat in store today. I'm super excited, which I say all the time, but it's because I have awesome guests. Um, I'm really excited because this is not something we have really talked about or I've I've ever really talked about, I think, on the podcast. And that subject today is e-commerce, and we're going to dive pretty deep. We have fabulous expert on the show today. We have Chloe Thomas. Chloe, thank you so much for being here. Hi, Kim. It's awesome to be joining you. And I'm super um, excited to be your first ever e-commerce person on too. (laughs) You're going to become the expert for the show. Yay! (laughs) So this is great. So, you know, it's so funny because let me update the listeners really quick. You know, Chloe is, and when I say expert, I'm not, you know, just trying to win her over. Um, But really, I mean, she is the author of a few books, and we're going to talk about her books. Obviously, she's a podcaster, and she has been in the e-commerce space for a long time. And 
I think it would do more justice if you could just give us a quick background, Chloe, on on what brought you to this point today. Yeah, sure. So uh, I started when I left uni, I got a job in marketing with a bank of all things. Um, quickly decided that was a terrible place for me to be. <laughs> so, uh, so the next job I got was in retail, working for a UK business who were on the high street. Uh, they ran a catalogue, so a mail order, and they had a website. And that was back in about 2003, 2003, 2004. Mm-hmm. I was hired as their um, customer relationship manager. So I did all the catalogue stuff, all the email stuff, the install loyalty card, got all over the website. Oh, it was brilliant. That business went under and then I worked con- on a consultancy as head of e-commerce across five, six different retailers. Then I built a marketing agency and then about four or five years ago, decided it was time to kind of focus on education and help rather than flogging AdWords and email. So... Um, <laughs> Flogging. I'm going to have to steal that word. I like it. <laughs> do you not? Do you have that word in America? Um. Yeah, but I don't think it's a, a super common word. I just, which oh. is so fun. I love talking to people in the UK and Australia. I get to learn all these fun new slang. Oh yeah, yeah. We we definitely say you know you're just uh, you know flogging would be just selling endless amounts of it. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. So, you know, with that, it's funny when you said retail, I spent way too long in retail myself, not at that degree at the store level. Um, but yeah, so, okay. So thank you for the background and let's, let's jump in really because I, I, <laughs> I was like, okay, I could be on the call with her for like three hours. I have so many questions for you. <laughs> um, but. You know, so you have you have worked with and talked to people from, you know, solo entrepreneurs to big companies. So I don't know if, you know, my my assumption, and I'm going to go ahead and pre-qualify my audience here, but is that we, there are more, you know, solopreneurs or, you know, people wanting to get into this space. And so that's probably more of a direction, but I would love to hear maybe an example of each and sort of a success story if, if that's, you know, something you can share. Yeah, of course. Uh, most of my work I do with smaller businesses these days because I much prefer working with smaller businesses. They're so much more agile. Um, there's so many fewer meetings. Uh, <laughs> all, all good things. Um, so most of what I do is with kind of um, almost start, you know, just post startup up to maybe a $5 million turnover, that kind of thing, because you still stay as quite a small feeling business, you know, like f- between two, 10 employees, and you can get up to kind of like the 5 million, 10 million turnover level. So um, it, it, that's kind of one of the good things about e-commerce is your turnover can grow quite fast without your manpower having to do the same thing. Um, so, oh gosh, examples of, of big companies. Well, you know what? We don't even have to go that route if this is your focus, because really, I think this is what you're talking about. And I know if if anybody wants to, and of course, I'll have all the links to 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 Chloe's site. You guys, she's got tons of case studies and interviews and whatnot on the site. Um, so if you are, I, I'd love to hear, you know, anybody recently you want to share. It does not have to be a big company, because again, I don't think that this is the audience, <laughs> to be honest with you. Well, I got, I've got a teeny tiny little example, which kind of explains what I do most, what, what, where I ha- seem to have my, my most impact. And then I've got a bit of a longer one, if that's all right. Mm-hmm. So the teeny tiny one is um, a guy who has been on the podcast 
<laughs> he's called Giorgio, who runs a business called shopamerica.eu in the Netherlands, over in Holland. I think he's in Amsterdam. And he was listening to one of my podcasts about how to run Black Friday and felt moved to drop me an email afterwards uh, telling me how, how amazing it was that it never occurred to him before that he didn't have to discount everything. He didn't have to just do 20% off everything for Black Friday. He could pick some lines and do some better deals on some things, direct the customers to buy what he wanted them to buy, not just give away margin everywhere. Mm-hmm. So he found that in 2015, his his Black Friday was considerably more profitable for him than it was back in 2015. So um, that's kind of the little things I do through the podcast. Probably a, a better example of of my impact on things and my model's impact on things more so is uh, another podcast guest, Pascal Culverhouse. Awesome name. Um, nice. <laughs> run- it's a good name. He runs a business called the electronic, oh, sorry, the electric tobacconist and they sell e-cigarettes. They've just, they've launched in the U S earlier this year, as well as in the UK. And he followed my model. Cause I, I met him when he worked at a previous business selling fireworks and he took the model of e-commerce master plan, which is my first book, used that and other things, you know, I've taught and done to get to the point where in the first six months he had 8,000 orders and in year two, they hit a seven figure turnover and that's UK pounds. So that's a solid seven figure in terms of dollars. Um, and, and in year two, they've also expanded into, into both America. And I think they're just about to go into Canada. And that was laying out his book as per one of my models. Wow. Wow. I have to tell you, it's interesting. I was listening to, um, another interview and the podcast and, and, I've got a whole bunch of questions for you on all of this, like fulfilled by Amazon and whatnot. But it seems that, you know, the, the interview was talking about somebody who was just interested in starting an online business, right? And she looked at sort of the brand model via content and all that and e-commerce and said, you know what? I think I can scale the other one quickly. And as someone who has had a brand for a long time and is now getting really interested in e-commerce and, and testing that, um, it seems that you can scale. Obviously, you have to have a strategy and a plan for this, but e-commerce is a much quicker way to scale than going the brand route. Uh, to me, that's just my personal opinion. I don't know if you have an opinion on the matter. It is It is a lot quicker to scale. It's a lot easier to scale, but I think it's a lot harder to come up with the the decent idea that will earn you a living. Yeah. If that makes sense, it's kind of like it's quite easy to get to say a hundred K turnover with a brand idea as an expert, as a consultant, et cetera. But it's, it's a lot harder to get the first hundred K as in an e-commerce business because you've, you've really got to put it out there to see if it resonates. And the product is the product. You know, you can't be sat in front of a customer and go, Oh, you didn't want AdWords. You want email. Yeah, we can do email because the product is the product. You know, if you've got right. an apple and a banana. If they want a banana and all you sell is apples, you're not going to be able to be able to um, help them out. So it's that whole the whole B to C element, the, the mass market element is it's harder to get right get right first time because it's it's just such a such a complex area, you know. Which is is really what what my business exists to do is to help people make the right decisions and the, take the right ideas forward and to try and help them work out which ones aren't going to work and which what their path to failure is and what their path to success is that little bit faster. Well, yeah. So essentially, it's, it's, it's not that you're saying, and correct me if I'm wrong, that it's not a matter of being able to succeed. It's to 
I would guess it's really creating the strategy and doing the, the work and the research prior to deciding. And of course, there's still no guarantee. But I, I think for me, I, what, what is so appealing to me about most of this is I, t- it looks like it's very data driven, right? And there, obviously there's still not yeah. going to be a guaranteed, you know, home run the first time, but you're able to test and tweak things where, and people are going to be like, okay, Kim, you have a brand. Why are you knocking it? I'm not. <laughs> I just know that I only have so many two to 3,000 word posts in me a week, right? And there's, yeah. There's, so the content piece, not that you shouldn't for e-commerce, I'm guessing, but so let's talk a little bit maybe about that initial strategy and, and in terms of where do you start? So let's say I've got a listener who is, is saying, you know, I, I'm passionate about this niche and I'd like to, to get into e-commerce. Like obviously you've got a book and stuff, but if you could share where, where does yeah. somebody even start? I think where it starts is the, the product idea and the niche idea. So it's, is there is there a customer base out there to buy the product? Mm-hmm. You know that's quite important. Of course, it doesn't necessarily in e-commerce need to be within your state or within your country. It could be within multiple countries. There's a big enough customer base, or it might be in a totally different country. There's a there's a big enough customer base for what you for what you want to do. Um, it's also about you know is there a profitable way of reaching those people? Does the marketing you know, the marketing costs and the time costs and the delivery costs stack up with the amount of margin you can make on that product. Um, and then also, you know, is that product something which, you know, if you're starting up in, in this business, is it a product you're interested in? Because you're going to be spending day in, day out, answering customers' questions about the product, writing content about the product, appearing on podcasts, talking about the product or TV shopping channels, or, you know, you're, you've got, you're going to be hiring people who you want to be passionate about the products. You really have to, have to care in some way or another about the product you're selling. You know, it might not be the most exciting thing in the world to you, but it's got to be something which you can, you can be concerned with 12 months of the year without thinking, Oh my God, I'm sick to the back teeth of this. <laughs> you know, it's funny. When I first started in my, my business like eight years ago, I was working with, um, this coach and he's like, well, pick a niche and just start doing it. And it was just, I've never been able to just pick something that I'm not remotely interested in. And, and so, and I've shared this on the podcast. So the, the space I'm going into is juicing. I, I fell in love with juicing like two years ago and started, this was right before I got your e-commerce master plan uh, because I did get the little course and the book, but, but I, I, I simply started with what I know, which was keyword research and looking at, okay, so let's look at the, the keywords out there, the competition, the viability, the searches versus the, the, you know, what is out there on the market and stuff. And, like I'm, I was just baby stepping into it, building the site and the background as a side piece, but then looking at, okay, let's start a Facebook page. And I started creating content and sharing and from that perspective. And so my point is that it inspires me. I'm working on this project and I want to keep juicing. So I'm having a ton of fun with it, right? I'm like, well, this is good. It's totally keeping me focused with my juice. Too. Well, yeah. And, and it's, you have to have some level of interest in it. I mean, Pascal, who I mentioned from Electric Tobacconist, he spends the first two hours of every day writing content for his website. That's brilliant. Two hours every day writing about e-cigarettes. I mean, that that's beyond what, I, what I'm capable of doing. Well, I'm like, I love WordPress and I've never spent two hours a day writing content on that yeah. site. So that's, that's huge. I mean, He's an extreme example because because of the product, there's a lot of places he can't advertise and he can't market. So 
you know, you get to put all that time into something else. But it's it, it's got to be something you're passionate about because that's going to come across to the customer. And the the concept that's within the, the customer manipulation book, the new book of the conversation of this trust building process with your customer, that it, it's essential to show some of who you are within that. There's got to be some reality behind the product, some hu- humanity, I guess, even behind the products. A great about us page, interesting social media shares, interesting content. So that's a really important softer part of building the business and if you if you don't have the interest to do that you are definitely going to struggle so okay let's i was thinking about someone who i know who's in a a niche but they don't really have like a a face or a name it's sort of this general um i mean they they create content or they have content and they've done a subscription model which i want to talk about so (laughs) do you think it is necessary to have an individual a personality behind the brand to succeed with e-commerce? No, despite everything I've just said. Um, <laughs> Thank you for that. I was like, well, please say no, please say no, please say no. The reason being that there has to be a level of humanity behind it, but that doesn't necessarily need to be the personality that we're used to seeing in the more, in the branded mm-hmm. world, in the brand world. So it could be that, you know, it's all behind the brand name apart from on your about us page it happens to mention the fact that there's someone called kim doyle running it okay that's well it's good to know or like for me it's because i'm kind of doing this with a team right and so it's huge to know and part of the desire to do it was so that i didn't have to so much be the brand (laughs) (laughs) yeah um go ahead yeah it's it's you know, I think it's important to to be humans behind it and not be robots, but it's nowhere near that level of personality driven activity, or it doesn't have to be anywhere near that level of personality driven activity that you you get as you're building a podcast or, you know, a, a, a business like mine or like yours. Okay, awesome. So <clears throat> from the strategy place, right? So obviously looking for the market and, and the customers and whatnot, um, Obviously, I want people to get your book and, and whatnot. But in terms of setting up platforms, and and please correct me if there's a better way to go through this process, because again, I feel like I've got 5,000 questions for you. <laughs> but I was discussing this with a friend the other day, right? Shopify versus WooCommerce and all these self-hosted commerce solutions. And as someone who has just preached, you know, own your content, own your property, I'm inclined to go with something like WooCommerce, but of course there's all these connection pieces, whether it's, you know, drop shipping or there's so many steps in this. Can we just start with maybe, you know, where would, where would you suggest someone start in terms of the platform for their commerce solution? Yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of keeping the platform as simple as possible. You know, you don't, almost nobody needs to build it bespoke. Um, I often have arguments with people about this who think they're, you know, their set of widgets requires a bespoke website and nine times out, no, 99 times out of a hundred, it doesn't. And they'd be much better off buying something simpler and off the shelf. So my, my recommendation is always to look at Shopify or WooCommerce. And I think WooCommerce can be really good. If you're very familiar with WordPress, it's a much more obvious place to start than Shopify. Mm-hmm. But Shopify has, I think, a, a larger lifespan. There are many multi-million dollar businesses running on Shopify with no intentions to move off it. It's a very, very robust platform. But then, then there, you know, there's very good uh, services for moving your 
website between the different different pieces of software. So it's WooCommerce, Shopify, equally good places to start. If you're talking right at the very beginning of starting, then, you know, just to check if you come up with a new product, to check your product's got legs, then having selling a few on Amazon or eBay or a market, another marketplace, or even literally going to a market and hiring a stall and standing there and seeing if anyone wants the product <laughs> yeah. is, um, is a, is a gold dust piece of advice. You know, many businesses have started off by going, right, we think this product's good. Let's rent ourselves a market stall for the day. And even potentially even not selling it, just saying, what do you think? What would you pay for this? Obviously, it's got to be a market that draws in the right type of customers. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, you need to be at the right kind of, kind of, uh, demographic, uh, sorry, um, finance and, and all the rest of it, psychographic levels. But that can be a really good thing to do. So I'm a, I'm a big advocate of keeping it simple straight off. Which is great because in this space too, I think where so many people preach, you know, own your content, own all this stuff. Again, it's because another topic, obviously, of conversation would be traffic. You need to be able to get traffic to the platform regardless of where it is. And, you know, like I look at this. So the friend that I was talking about with this where, you know, she wants to do this whole store. And I'm like, why don't you start with something like sell one thing, right? And and I've observed someone else where they literally just found the product and set up a, a simple ClickFunnels sales page to see and yeah. kind of right and before you go to the trouble of WooCommerce connecting APIs and extensions and dropshipping or whatever you want to do, right? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, and how I sort of been testing stuff, I'm like, okay, well, what? I could sell this product. So I started sharing content on the Facebook page to see what level of interest there was in maybe the product. But I guess coming from, is is there a simple way to to offer something for sale without even getting into either platform? Well, yeah, you you can list on Amazon or eBay. You could run a Kickstarter or a crowdfunding thing. Uh, quite a lot of people do that to see if their if their product's going to fly. And the great thing with that, of course, is you've already got some customers. Um, yeah, <laughs> you know, you've got some people bought in. One of my podcast guests, this is how he starts each of his subscription businesses: is he runs a Kickstarter campaign in order to build the community around the product even more than to get the cash. And there's um there's another business I was reading about guy. Oh, this is when I'm not gonna be able to remember the name. But every new product they bring out, they crowdfund. You know every single time. Which is huge, right? So but let me ask you this with both of so as the with those examples, are these people who are creating products or are they going to find products, right? Because that's like a whole other can of worms. I seem to remember the one who does a kickstart crowdfund for every single product they are designing the product but it but there's no way they need that much money for tooling um i wish i could remember what it was now it's gonna bug me that's right well if you uh, think of it i'll put the the link in the show notes later (laughs) cool thank you um the other one the the subscription business that is um a discover both of his businesses are discovery based one is called lick my dip dip um (laughs) I have to pronounce that very carefully. Yeah, slow down. <laughs> yeah, always the P at the end, yeah. which is a nightmare for editing. So sorry, I did that twice. That's all right. But, um, it's fun. It's important for getting the right words across, and that is um, chili products, so chutneys and um, chili chocolate, and it, that in a discovery box each month as a subscription. And his other business is Cheese Posties, which is a grilled cheese sandwich through the post, all ready to put in the toaster. Um, every week. So, and he's just going out and sourcing great cheese, great chutneys, great chili products from artisan producers. So, so it's both. Holy moly. Okay. So 
Let's That's got your brain going, hasn't it? <laughs> Every, everything you say, Chloe, I'm like, can I fly to the UK and hang with you? Okay. So, but now with, with this, let's talk subscription models now, because I know that they're in recurring revenue is a popular topic, I think, in the blogosphere. And, but that tends to be more memberships. I love the subscription model. And personally, I mean, who doesn't like, I get excited with the Amazon box. I can't imagine getting, I have a couple physical newsletters that actually are on a recurring subscription that I pay for. I love getting them in the mail. So obviously this is a great model. It's a great direction. Is, do you go about the subscription model differently than you do say just setting up an e-commerce store? Yeah, you, you do go about it a bit differently. For starters, you've got a different platform to sit on. So there's, there are great subscription plugins and stuff for, uh, for Shopify and for WooCommerce. But the, the daddy of the platforms for subscription is, uh, CrateJoy, mm-hmm. which also puts you on their kind of discover your next subscription product website which is quite cool so you get a bit of extra promo but that's that's a, a platform specifically built for subscription e-commerce so that would be my first port of call on that front i think though the other i find um subscription e-commerce really really fascinating because so many people are going about it in so many different ways there's now um most of the you know the the sites that sell shampoo and you know beauty products are now trying to get their customers to sign up to an individual subscription per product which is kind of a totally different type from the the discovery box that you get um like uh, the lick my uh, I'll say cheese posties yeah. <laughs> save, save you the editing trouble of my peas um so there's that discovery box option then you've got the well it's something i buy anyway and the company getting the consumer to commit to buying it from them. Then you've got the kind of the the regular product that's less discovery, but is something which you can only buy as a subscription. And it's, I find it very interesting. I've, I've interviewed people and I've, you know, chatted with people who are doing these subscription models and read up about it, who are either seeing the subscription as the end goal. So we get someone in, they, t- they test the product, they buy a few more things from them, from us, and then eventually we're going to get that subscription compared to other people for where the subscription is the be all end all. And the only reason they sell one off products without a subscription is because they got a bit of stock left over and they thought they might as well sell it. Yeah. So it's, I think it's a really interesting mark, uh, interesting area of the, of the industry at the moment to see where that, where that for where, where the where the most successful version of subscription is because it's i think i prefer if i you know i'm constantly on the lookout for my own e-commerce business idea which i've still failed to come up with but <laughs> you know, there's, there's so many good ones but they're just not quite good enough they're too much of a perfectionist probably um but for me i would feel much happier building a business where the subscription isn't the start point for the customer where the customer has gets used to the products and then can choose to opt up to becoming a subscriber customer where it gives them a better experience than just being a regular, I buy when I feel like it customer. Yeah. Because it's just so much easier to get someone, you know, who's coming to your website cold to buy one product than to commit for six months or three months. Uh, the, the trust leap is just so much smaller. Uh, so I can see when I finally get round to it and fi- finally get, get round to it, finally find the idea that mine will, will end at a subscription point as the highest level you can get to. But I don't think it would be at the start. So, you know, my hat goes off to anyone who manages to build that type of business because it's a big, it's a big ask of the customer. 
It really is. And I think too, it, it would depend on, you know, as you were saying that it's like my brain is spinning because I finally signed up for a subscription with Amazon for the Starbucks K cups that I use every day mm-hmm. because I'm tired of running to Target and they're not there. <laughs> but so that's like just that, that's that sort of the shampoo model, right? And then you look at like with these boxes or, you know, some of the, like probably Crate Joy does a lot of these. And I, for the life of me, I can't remember it now, but there's one that is, it's like a, is it, um, God, it's like a geek box where you just get stuff, whether you're a Star Wars fan or Big Bang Theory. And it's like wow. this. I cannot for the life of me and I will find it and put it in here. Um, but so every month there's just a new box, right? And, and it's sort of this mixture as opposed to, um, you know, like with the cheese posties, like he's doing that all and sending it. It's one thing very specific as opposed to this eclectic aggregation. Mm. I guess so. Um, you know, there was, I read a book and I'm sure you know of it. It, it is all on the subscription model and where the automatic customer by John Warlow. Yeah, I, I think that was it. I think that was it. Yeah. And where they were talking about a gal who had done this sort of artisan chocolate subscription. And what was happening more was that the people supplying the unique chocolates from the realm couldn't keep up with the demand. <laughs> so, you know, so I think there's probably all of these different, um, there's so many things that go into it. And do you think that you need either a much more research initially? I mean, would you ever start with the subscription model? I know you said that's not your goal, but if somebody said, I want to do this, is there a different market research sort of that would warrant that? I think you have to do an awful lot more research into your supplier base mm-hmm. because you've got to have interesting products all the time. Um, and it can be quite hard to get those in some sectors. So in the, in the beauty industry, for example, the great majority of beauty, uh, companies, you know, so L'Oreal, Clarins, you know, all the, the, the big brands you see when you walk into the department store, none of them will sell to you unless you have a physical shop or a physical, um, salon. So if you wanted to go and do, yeah, we're going to be the brand name beauty box and you don't have a salon, then you're going to really, really struggle to get anything out of them. You know, and they are really hard to work with because brand is so important to them. Um, so there's a lot more to be done on, on, the, on that kind of way you're going to source the products from. I think the other thing to, to really think hard about if you get on the subscription route is how long you think your average subscriber is going to stick around for. Because if it's cheese posties, yeah, I'll eat, I'll happily eat a cheese sandwich every week. That's quite cool. I, I might well, I might well stick around for that one for six months or more until I start, you know, seeing the scales go up. So I might <laughs> yeah. cut back. But that one you could quite easily be subscribed to for a couple of years, so long as the cheese continues to be an interesting cheese. But if you're going down the, the beauty routes, and I think some of the men's, um, the men's beauty products boxes, discovery boxes, you know, each month you get, a different brand of razor and three different aftershave balms and another moisturizer and some aftershave. Well, men are now more, much more interested in that product than they used to be. And even women, you know, how many discovery beauty boxes do you want with 10 products, only two of which you like? Right. You know, you, how often does the average woman want to change her foundation? How often does the average man want to subscribe, you know, to invest in a new razor, you know, a new change brand of razor? I mean, so I think. I think those types of discovery boxes are really quite challenging to pull together because you've, you've presumably you've got to get, you know, at least 60% of the products to be, uh, to be something one of your customers is going to want. They don't want a box where they only like one thing out of 10 or out of five. That's not 
good enough. So I think with those, you've maybe only got a shorter lifespan as someone discovers and they're like, right, I'm set for a while. I don't need anything else. The same as the geek box one. I'd imagine that has a, a fairly short lifespan. Yeah. Because at what point, like, you know, how many bobbleheads do you need of your, <clears throat> you know, or stickers or like if all of a sudden you're like, okay, my house has become a tchotchke crap hole. And it's like, I've just got stuff to a certain extent, yeah. you know? So, and, and with that, where you're saying discovery box, I mean, there are so many models. I, I have a friend who they're in the, the gun niche and I've talked about this before and they have a subscription model, but they send content and like gun oil and targets and stuff that are consumables, right? So that it's something that if someone is, you know, likes to go out shooting and, and they've got targets, well, you have to constantly replace those. And so it, I think it, there's, I guess you have to look at your market, right? I mean, I had thought about that with the juicing side. I'm like, without, without the exception of like having to literally ship, like, here's the ingredients for a juice. I don't want to get into that. You've got produce. It's, so it's, you start well, looking. It's bulky too. It's, it's bulky and there's, a, you know, it expires and all those things. So it's like, well, there's other things you could do, but it's, it's so one is almost like you've got a membership model that could, could serve your audience, but I'm so going sideways with this. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, it's cool. It's cool. It's interesting. All right. So let's talk a little bit about the products then in terms of that. I mean, do you recommend or, or, I know you probably can't recommend just one methodology. It depends on the industry, but you know, I know fulfilled by Amazon has gotten really big. What about drop shipping? You know, how do you even go about deciding what to do in, in terms of that piece? Well, my specialism is selling off your own website. So whilst I think, uh, Amazon and fulfilled by Amazon and the eBay platforms, the other marketplaces have a really important place to piece to play in every e-commerce business. My, um, my recommendation first and foremost would be always to have your own products and ship them yourself to your customers that you recruit via your website, because that way you are building your business for the future because they're going to be your customers, not someone else's. And you're in control of the customer service, which is, you know, really, really important in this day and age to make sure that customer service is great and that it's it's great every single time. That, of course, doesn't mean that you have to pick and pack and dispatch everything. There are some fantastic businesses that you can outsource your pick, pack and dispatch to who will do it to your standards. It's just a case of finding the right partner to do that. So, and on the case of drop shipping, I think drop shipping suggests that you're using a generic product that others are also also able to sell. Mm -hmm. So if it's your core product, you know, the core of your business, I wouldn't go for drop shipping. But if it happens to be, I don't know, something which complements, but you're better off selling a branded item because they're the creme de la creme or, you know, or it's just bulky and it just seems like a no brainer to add it in, but it's not core, it's not part of your core strategy, then, then yes, maybe drop ship for add-ons. But I, I would always advise being in control of your distribution platform, of your distribution, sorry, your customer's experience of your distribution. And there are ways to streamline that, right? Whether it's Shopify or WooCommerce with APIs that, so excuse me, the orders go directly to the company that, that fulfills for you. Yeah, definitely automate it. Um, that's really easy to do with most systems. In fact, kind of the first question you're going to have for anyone you're considering outsourcing customer service calls or, uh, or pick back and dispatch to is what do you integrate with? 
Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah. close, closely followed by which couriers do you work with? Closely followed by and how how much volume are you shipping? So what's the what's the good prices I can get via you? So yeah, in, integration is really important for customer service and just for efficiency. Um, definitely can, integrate. Can you set up in a way like if you wanted to do not a gateway, but it's like they buy from your site and then you go send it to FBA? I don't know if you can. I'd be surprised if you can, but probably not with wrong. Amazon, but that's a total <laughs> side note because I do want to get to your books and stuff too. So last question kind of in this piece is, yeah. is sort of the whole Teespring gear bubble. You know, there's so many different places that sort of do this, um, you know, campaign style where yeah. you can, you can test something there. What are your, what are your thoughts on there? I think those are fascinating. Um, I think they require a different skill set to, mm-hmm. or a different set of aptitudes, maybe rather than skills. I think you've got to be good at trading and making decisions fast, which often isn't what you've got to be good at to build an e-commerce business. Mm-hmm. I look at the people who make money on that and I just think, oh, I bet I could. And then I just, just remember when I've tried to trade shares or anything like that and how much money I've lost. So, um, my skills are in systems rather than, rather than trading. And I think that's a really, important difference for people to recognize but i think really quick when you say when you say trading you're talking about in terms of being able to to buy traffic and manage the campaigns and from that perspective you mean it's about finding the product that shifts and finding the way to shift it in a very short-term model Mm -hmm. which is a very kind of creative process it's a very it suits a kind of a trader personality whereas there is, there are, of course, elements of that in kind of bog standard, traditional, if you're allowed to call it that, e-commerce. Um, but to be successful in, in e-commerce requires more consistency. You know, you're building a brand, you're recruiting customers who will buy from you again and again, which on those platforms you're not. You're, you're recruiting one-time orders all the time. Yeah. In I, my opinion. But no, I, I, I haven't got deep into it. I, no, I, I totally agree. I've looked at it and I've, I've, tried something on Gearbubble and, and just for kind of, you know, <laughs> to humor myself, like, let's try this and, <laughs> and, and almost more of a way of, let's see if this ad converts or, cause I'm getting interested in those pieces. But really with that, I mean, I guess in a way it's also some of them now allow you to get your subscribers as opposed to like you're selling something and, and while you get the profits, Teespring gets the customer. <laughs> yeah. All right. So let's talk about, uh, customer ma- manipulation. And, and so just so everyone knows who is listening, um, I will have all the links to Chloe's books or website, obviously in the show notes, but your latest book is customer manipulation. Yep. With the very long subtitle, which um. is how to influence your customers to buy more and why an ethical approach will always win. Yeah. It came out, uh, Earlier this year, not very long ago, it's currently riding high on Amazon. Not as high as I'd like, but it's getting there. Um, and the Kindle book is a steal. Um, and if you want to test it out, you can get the first chapter, which is why customer manipulation, in case you're, you know, your listeners are going, what? <laughs> manipulation? Um, you can get that chapter for free on the site, which um, I think you're going to put in the show notes on you, Kim. Yep, absolutely. It's so funny that you said that because I had sent out, um, I, I was wondering if you'd gotten any pushback or feedback on the term manipulation. I had sent out a, an email about a plugin on scarcity and someone got so offended and basically was like, you know, if you're not a part of the, the solution, you're a part of the problem. And I was like, 
Well, anytime something's on sale, it's scarcity. So it's, it's to me, I'm like, wow, someone's got an issue here because really it's, it's simple direct response marketing, right? So, so let's talk about what you mean with this. And obviously I love the ethical. Um, what do you mean by customer manipulation? For me, customer manipulation is what we all in e-commerce now need to embrace. Um, it's working out how to get the customer to buy more and more and more repeatedly from us. Um, the reason why uh, I've kind of gone with the slightly controversial title is because the, the e-commerce world is getting ever more competitive. There are more people entering every year. There's more competition. The customers are getting cleverer and savvier about what they will and won't buy and how they will and won't buy. And there's just generally more noise out there, which means we as marketers have to get far more skilled at attracting our customers' attention again and again and again in order to get them to buy. And I don't think it's just about a passive influence or a or a persuasion. I think now we have to use every trick that we've got in order to get the customers to do that. You know, the right colors, the right design layouts, the right price points, the right wording, the right copy, the right marketing methods, the right customer service levels. And of course, the right product. And for me, manipulation is not as negative a word as some feel it is. I've been back to the dictionary definition and 99% of that definition is a positive thing. We just need to, need to embrace it, admit that we're doing it, and then we could learn how to do it properly. I love that you went to the actual definition because I do that all the time in this space. And, and one of the, popular words that I've ranted about on my podcast is the word hustle because I'm just tired of it. I'm like, I'm all about working hard with intention and smart, but I'm just sick of being told to hustle. And then I looked up the definition and I was like, you know, neither the noun or the verb are positive. And so it's like we create, we live in a culture, the Western culture, you know, of like scarcity and manipulation. People get all freaked out about it, but it's, it's, it's really, it goes back to like the days when anybody started selling, right? And it's solving yeah. those problems and getting in the mind of your customer. Um, so what, what points from the book might you be able to share? I know we're winding down on time here, but I would love for people to get an idea about what a little bit more of what's inside the book. Yeah, of course. Well, there's two key concepts within the book. One is the conversation, which is that ongoing, every single interaction a customer has with your business over the years, whether you know they've had it or not. So, you know, their mate down at the bar talking about some some interaction they've had with you counts and i as in throughout the book there's a lot of examples of how you can build that conversation how you can some simple ways in which you can make that work throughout your whole business and you can get a better idea of what the customer actually wants that it, that conversation to be with you so that's kind of the the soft piece that that, that goes from page 1 right the way through to the end the other concept that's within the book is a model I've designed that's called the customer master plan, which is essentially e-commerce boiled down into six dots and five arrows, which is to take a consumer all the way from being part of the world. So they know nothing about your business. They've never been to your business. They could be any human being in the world at all to convert them into a visitor to get them to your website to have a look around and see what they find to then get that person to become an inquirer and give you their email address to then get that inquirer to buy for the first time you won't be surprised to hear that email marketing sequences make a make a play at this point and pop-ups and then um, once they've once you've got that that first order 
it's all about getting the next order which turns them into a repeat buyer. And then we want to hit that creme de la creme point, which is where they become a regular buyer, whether or not that's a subscription or just they happen to come back every three, six months, whatever your regular buyer is. So that's your six dots that go across the bottom of the model. And there's an arrow between each of those that are stages one to five and how you get people between each of those dots. Of course, at the beginning, they can, of course, leapfrog from being part of the world directly to buying. And I cover that off as well. So there's a chapter for each of those five stages with all the the product actions you need to take, what you need to do on your website, what you need to do with your marketing, what you need to do with your customer service. It's it's all in there. I love that because there's a lot of books out there sort of on, you know, the what pops to my head is like, uh, the psychology of influence, right, by Cialdini and and all these pieces, but yet you're actually putting it in applicable with your e-commerce business. How, here's how we can tie those together. <laughs> yeah, it's like I would, I kind of when I sat down to write this book, I partly was trying to create a really clever, um, you know, one almost like a phrase, like a Seth Godin tribes or a start with why from Simon Sinek or an essentialism from Greg McKeon, you know, just a, a blazing, trailblazing <laughs> new idea. And, um, true to type, I couldn't help myself but put in lots of practical advice. So it kind of came back to kind of part trailblazer, but predominantly is actually how to do it. Um, one day, one day I'll write that, that clever book. That really, you know, really properly just an idea book, like the long tail or something. But it's not good. It's not this one. This one's got way too much practical advice in it. Well, I think, you know, obviously with what you do and, and how you work with people and the businesses, it's, that's probably what is most craved. And then the people who are succeeding, you know, or who are just thinking about it, like on either end, you know, love the big idea piece. Um, so let me ask you this with that. With those, with those six points and, and having worked with clients is, or, you know, people who have an e-com store is, is there some common, I don't want to say mistake, but where people can get tripped up in that process? Like what's something common you see people doing that maybe we could avoid <laughs> for those of us who haven't started? Yeah. Um, I think the, the fundamental problem and the reason why I've kind of created the, the, the model and the book is that people go, oh, we need to do email. Let's send some emails. Or they go, we need to do AdWords. Let's send some AdWords or we'll do some remarketing or, or we need to do Facebook ads. And they're very much getting distracted by the marketing method rather than the reason for wanting to do the marketing. Mm-hmm. So the, the really big message, I guess, from the book is that you have to understand which of these five stages you're doing worst in and then find the right way to fix that problem. So I see people, you know, just getting excited by, um, we need to do, we need to do social, uh, SEO or social media. And you're like, well, those really only, their biggest, biggest impact is getting traffic to your website and <laughs> the softer side of branding. What they're not doing is converting first time buyers into repeat buyers. Yeah. For that, you've got a whole other set. And that's where your problem is with your business is you're not focusing on this bit. So I think that's, the businesses that can grasp that and can get that right are going to be street streaks ahead for the next couple of years because that's that's the fundamental thing that many businesses get wrong when they're listening to their customers at the moment is that they're not understanding the difference between someone who's been to their website once and someone who's bought from them three times and treating them accordingly. That kind of runs the board across the gamut of online business, e-commerce mm-hmm. or not, right? I, oh, yeah. I, I mean, it's 
I had talked about, um, I had hired a Facebook agency to work with a little bit and what was so invaluable. I mean, I've shifted away from what I hired them originally for. However, the, what I got from working with them was sort of these core fundamentals of direct response marketing and coming back to, you know, setting that solid foundation, which like you were saying, there's so much noise and, you know, like I joke, I'm like, do not ask me to get on Snapchat. I don't have time to learn one more thing. Right. And it, it's because <laughs> it's you, like, I'm with you. <laughs> yeah. And I'm thinking if you haven't mastered maybe content copy and eat, like, like get those fundamentals in place and make sure that they're working because that's where your data is going to come from. That's where you're going to be able to measure what to do. But yet that hopping on new tactics, you are never going to get over the hump of feeling like you're starting up would be my, that's my opinion. Well, yeah, exactly. And it's, you know, as you said, this isn't, I mean, it's, there's a, all the examples in the book are e-commerce, but pretty much everything that's explained in the book can be used in a B2B business as well, you know, in a brand business. And I, I have, um, I know of a couple of people who are using the model already to grow their coaching businesses. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's written for the e-commerce world, but the content is very much, um, ex- uh, you know, can very much be used pretty much in any business model. And, you know, that's partly because I spend half my brain power working out how to run e-commerce businesses and the other half of my brain power working out how to run e-commerce master plan, which is not an e Well, I do sell stuff online, but it's not uh, an e-commerce business in the terms of my customers. No, it, it's your brand. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, let me ask you this with, um, you know, in, in terms of where you said that it's, it's getting more competitive. There are a lot of people out there. Um, and I know with e-commerce master plan, there's ways to dive into the strategy. It's funny because to me, and I think this might be one of those that, you know, it's kind of like when you buy a new car and you see everybody has it. So all of a sudden I've become more interested <laughs> in this space. So it, it seems like more people to me are getting into it. And, and, uh, so, I mean, it's not, you're not saying that, you know, now is not the time to do this. It's just there might be more work involved in getting there. Yeah, I think I think there is more work involved in getting there. But, you know, I sit in the UK, which is the most e-commerce friendly country in the world. We export more than any other country via e-commerce and we have more of our consumers buying online than any other country. We have a greater spend online per um, per capita than any other country so we are there's a lot of places catching up with us but we remain kind of the leading light if i'm allowed to, if i'm allowed to say that in America. absolutely well it's um, it's data driven run with it <laughs> well yeah, yeah it, it's backed up by stats um so we're kind of we are the most competitive industry and in, at the moment in the uk there's massive push by the government and lots of others to help e-commerce businesses sell overseas because there's massive opportunity in other countries around the world who are just not not as developed as we are. So there's a lot of UK businesses who are now selling into other English-speaking territories, other places around Europe. They're selling into the Far East, into Africa, South America, America itself, Australia, because they're finding the margins are greater, the marketing is easier in those countries, and they can quite quite easily grow their business faster there than they can back in the UK which also partly depends on the product because um, often you'll find something which in your country you can sell for $50. In another country, maybe you could sell for $70 because there's not 20 competitors. So there's a lot of 
a lot of angles to it. There's a lot of places where there's plenty of space. And, and let's not forget that I think, um, now in the UK, 15% of total retail sales are online. So that's 85% of all retail spending is still done offline in the UK. And the US stats, I think you're at about 12%, but I might have got that wrong because I haven't checked that recently, but it's certainly sub 20% of um of total retail sales happen online so there's still masses of opportunity in the e-commerce space it's just it's it's no longer really you you now have to put a bit more effort in i guess yeah that that's fascinating um so if someone's in the uk wanting would you recommend they do like a just a uk store initially before even branching out to start off with yeah to learn learn the product and to keep things simple because as soon as you go overseas you just duplicate every problem you've already got and add the usually for the UK you add the complexity of languages and you always add the complexity of currency so um, I would start off and let start off as UK and then I would test out which other markets would work in Europe using uh, FBA if you go into Amazon FBA you can pretty much hit a button and Amazon will ship your products to the rest of um, Europe. So it's a really easy way to see which countries are interested in your products because Amazon want to create more cross-border trade. So it it moves in all kinds of interesting directions at the moment. Gosh, there's so <laughs> I really could talk to you for hours. Um, <laughs> and uh, we'll do, I would be happy to do a review of the book too on the site and on Amazon because I just, Thank I you. am consuming all of this to no end. Um, so I will obviously have links to everything, but where is the best place for people to connect with you if they want to learn more about what you're doing? Cool. To connect with me, it would be ecommercemasterplan.com. You'll find links to everything on there. And if, you, if you've got a burning question you want me to answer, the quickest response will be on Twitter, where I'm at Chloe, C-H-L-O-E underscore E-C-M-P. Awesome. Gosh, Chloe, thank you so much. I love chatting with you the first time we connected. And of course, you can see that I'm like, my brain is spinning. <laughs> <laughs> um, so congratulations on with uh, uh, Customer Manipulation is your fourth book? Fourth book, Yeah. Outstanding. That is really exciting. So not only do you have your own brand working with clients, but you're an author. So take, you know, a little busy in there, aren't you? (laughs) Just a little bit. Yeah. (laughs) Well, congratulations. And thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you so much for having me on. It's been a pleasure. 